My name is Mr. Lutford, and I am a photography teacher at a California public high school. I teach analog black and white film photography in darkroom, basic lighting, as well as digital photography, including Photoshop and Lightroom. This podcast features my high school students, as well as guest photographers, and occasionally I have alumni students visit me and we talk about what they're up to in college. Hope you enjoy our conversations, and thank you for listening. I'm delighted to welcome Benjamin Gaeta to my podcast today. I first met Benjamin when he was a high school senior and enrolled to take my beginning photography class in 2012. After Benjamin graduated in 2013, he went to Harvard and was a pre-med major. Benjamin and I have kept in touch over the years because he is participating in a time-based photography project I've been working on the past seven years. Each year, Ben and I get together to chat and plan where and how we want to shoot the images for that particular year. This year, I asked Benjamin if he would be part of my new podcast, and he agreed. Welcome, Benjamin, and I'd like to begin by asking if you still keep in touch with any of your high school classmates. Wow, very peripherally with, like, maybe Eric, Geronda, and I've spoken to Paria um, because she had a few unfortunate circumstances in her life that I just wanted to reach out and make sure she was okay, and... um, but for the most part, I you know I, I keep those memories with me, but I actually haven't had a you know too much of a chance like uh, with the rat race and and whatnot. Walking back on campus, yeah, it, it, it is. Part of it's missing now. It is. Some of it is missing. It it doesn't feel. It's wow. It's crazy. I don't know if there's an age where you'll actually feel where I'll actually feel like I I'm not kind of transported back into high school a little bit. But for the most part, I definitely feel. Um, this is probably the first year where I've just felt a little out of place, um, you know, with my, especially with my sisters being here. That has never been like a theme where they've both been here. And, and I know how much younger I they I portray them as relative to me. And I just that from my perspective, seeing them here just makes me feel very old. <laughs> Do you feel like you got a good education here? Did it prepare you for something like Harvard? No, it didn't prepare me for something like Harvard, but I definitely feel like I got a good education here. And um, in to an extent, it prepared me enough where I didn't feel like I was completely floundering. But um, What was the biggest shock when you got to Harvard? Like you felt you had a deficiency in your education. Where do you feel it showed up first? Just work ethic. I felt like, I, you know, when I was in high school, there was uh, an ability. I had an ability to kind of coast um, in a lot of classes and uh, I knew it, and teachers knew it, but you know, only a couple teachers actually ever called me out on it. And the ones that did, I was very defensive about. You know, I remember, um, you know, there's a teacher. I guess I'll just name him, Mr. Ruprecht. Um, when he found out I got into Harvard, because you know he'd known that I was kind of a backslider in his class, especially senior year, where I kind of stopped. Um, you know, I'll just say it. I just stopped kind of putting in the effort because then you know college was was imminent at that point, and. Um, I just remember him, the shock on his face when I told him that I got into Harvard. And I didn't, hadn't really wanted to, but it just became um, kind of apparent to everyone after a certain amount of time. And yeah, that's when I kind of, you know, it took me like a couple years to almost appreciate the level of uh, how indignant I was over something that was just fundamentally true. Like I had to improve my work ethic. I just had to become someone who really tried and and applied himself uh in college and and i did um and that was just virtue of proximity to a bunch of really really driven smart talented people um 
I definitely feel like I was to some degree ill-prepared uh, for the emotional kind of grind. Um, I just hadn't felt, I hadn't felt, um, uh, I guess competitive is, is the right word, but it also just felt uh, like even the people that you weren't competitive with in an academic sense, you were still um, just like so viscerally and fundamentally aware about like what they were doing and what they were pursuing. And so to me is actually, it, it was a little depressing because I had been so used to so much of a, this like casual lifestyle um, where I could just live a little more in the moment. And I felt like I wasn't really allowed to do that. And I feel like I could have been allowed to do that if I had been a little more prepared um, and proactive with certain things in my life. So was Harvard everything you thought it would be? Like, I remember the day you got in, you came and you were smiling from ear to ear and you were just so happy. Yeah. I remember I sent your mom an email congratulating Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> did it turn out to be everything you thought it would be? or? I think looking back on it, it was actually everything that I thought it would be. But I didn't, I wasn't equipped to take advantage of everything um, immediately from the outset. Like, neither of my parents had finished college in the U.S. and... And my dad had only done a little bit of community college and, you know, my mom had started college in Brazil and stopped when she came to the U.S. at like 21. So I was I had literally no idea what it meant, especially to be a pre-med student on top of all of that, because that's just an extra level of like just being anal all the time um, that I was just very unprepared for. Um, but yes, I think there were a ton of opportunities. Um so many amazing and like brilliant and gifted people teaching classes. I think the one thing that I had expected was um, was like better kind of like pedagogical skills on the part of the teachers. They weren't, they were just so talented and they were such leaders in their field, but that wasn't because they taught well necessarily. Um, you really had to show a lot of initiative and and go and reach out and I had never never like the concept of office hours was so foreign to me um and I was like oh that's just if you don't understand something and then it, no it's just you fundamentally just need to consistently go to office hours in order not just to understand the concepts but to build these relationships and to feel a sense just any kind of sense of community with your with your teacher you're not going to build any kind of bonds unless you're you yourself are making the effort where in high school everyone Everyone's kind of looking out for you. Everyone's trying to make, especially here at Samo. At Samo um, I just felt like teachers were going out of their way to build relationships with students uh, relative to to Harvard, and that that was something that I, you know, uh, learned by senior year. I kind of finally got it. But um, some of my friends who have gone to schools such as Harvard or MIT, they talk about they have to lose things in order to to make it. Like yeah. you, if you climb up and you, and you get more competitive and you get better academically, you have to shed things in your life in order to do that. Did you find you had to do any of that? Or? Yeah, I feel like I had a lot of hobbies when I first started. You know, I, um, I loved to play soccer. I was part of the soccer team, um, varsity soccer team here for a couple of years. And the club team itself, just the club team over at Harvard was so competitive. Um, they had won like a national championship the year before or something. So they actually didn't take people every year. They just brought people down from varsity. So, and uh, 
you know, again, you'd have to like really make an effort to go out for intramurals, which I did occasionally, but studying uh, just made that difficult. That I lost that. I lost um, every, you know, everything that I had liked to do casually, I had to make much more regimented. And so it just took on a very different um, kind of uh, attribution in my mind. Um, working out was very regimented. A lot of things that I had previously taken for granted that I could just get up and go do had to be fit into a schedule. Um, so yeah, I did. I definitely felt like I lost maybe a little of that carefree attitude towards my hobbies. Um, I know you, you told me, I think it was a few years ago when we met, um, you had a, some health issues because of the stress. Yeah. But you found out ways to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are some tips that you would share with folks who were, because I think a lot of students like you, yeah. like you aren't going to be prepared for how difficult college could be. I mean, but what, what did you learn from some of this about well what i learned that college is only as difficult as i mean it, it's difficult but in the sense that it's manageable is it's only as like unmanageable as you're going to make it so you can do so many things if your head is just in the right place and what and what i mean by that isn't isn't just a sense of confidence but uh, a, a kind of a sense of openness and appreciation for what you're doing in the moment as opposed to thinking of it as just one more kind of step on this never-ending journey towards a career because, uh, well, and, and I learned that actually, one thing that Harvard was really good about was sponsoring a lot of mental health uh, help for students. One, I, I had a meditation retreat um, Going into senior year, early senior year, I had just been having a very tough time. And, and one of the issues that I, I, I just felt like I'd been dealing with a lot of anxiety. I'd had several anxiety attacks and uh, people. Those are scary. And, every, and the th funny thing is, is that so many people have had them and just have written them off. Um, I had a friend who started senior year in the hospital for a week, um, because, like in basically a mental institution. And he got out and he would tell people so casually. Um, he was just like, yeah, I, I freaked out, but um, I feel so much better now. I mean, they just, I guess I just, just under a lot of stress. And it really goes beyond that um, because of just the existential nature of your of of what it means to be going into senior year and feeling like you're both on top of the world but just completely uh inferior um so often that's how i felt just coming from a background with little college experience i just felt like i was and i didn't feel like i had a chip on my shoulder which would have actually i think spurred me on to be a little bit more competitive i felt like i just really wasn't good enough and um that was some of the most toxic stuff I could have thought about. And then I went on a meditation retreat sponsored by Harvard, and it was amazing, free. I, it was a week of very little talking. Um, you meditated probably six to eight hours a day. Um, you ate only what they fed you. It was actually very regimented, um, but in a way, you know, that just facilitated incredible peace um, you were out in nature and so through all of that I kind of it really helped to put things in perspective for me um, not everyone can afford to go on like a week-long meditation retreat but it really helped instill a sense of appreciation for my mental health which is the root I think of success um, you can't you can't go out and feel confident consistently. That's the thing. Like you would have you have your moments, but in order to be ready every day to tackle, I think the challenges that were ahead. I just 
you know, waking up and making med- morning meditation a part of my routine um, really helped to regiment and structure other things in my life. Um, and, you know, to everyone has their own approach, but I think that there's no way you can get through college without having some level of, of just fundamental organization like that in your life to keep you sane. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, stress is still a constant theme in my life and I'm trying to get over it. Uh, and I, and I don't think it's the kind of thing, actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's not really the kind of thing you get over. It's the kind of thing that you constantly deal with and you have to do effectively. And, uh, and, and I guess just thinking about it often, making it part of that like internal dialogue you have with yourself. It's like, well, how do I f- take a step back? How do I feel today? Just waking up. Did this, why am I feeling so anxious? Is there a reason? And if there's not, um, there always is. That's one thing. There's, there's always some kind of reason. You just kind of have to, to dig deep and, and think about it a little bit and, and be okay spending a little time doing that. I think some people just feel like that's a waste of their time. They could be doing so many other things. But when you start procrastinating because you're too stressed out to actually tackle the problem in front of you, which is my problem, I was a serial procrastinator, um, uh, that's when I think some of these tools can be really useful. I'm curious, when to graduate with a four-year degree from Harvard and in pre-med, and to graduate successfully, what does that do for your self-esteem in your ego. I mean, it, it's, I mean, Harvard, you know, is, is certainly a, an institution that's renowned and respected. And I mean, to, to have achieved that, do you feel like it, it changed you in any way? Or? Yeah, I'm an arrogant piece of shit now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, um, you know, it's, it's that's funny. It's, it's, well, I, one thing that I will say is that it's not even fundamental to Harvard, but yeah, I'm proud of, I'm proud of, uh, the I, I guess I'm, I'm proud of the institution, but I'm also proud that I was just able to make it through it because I know people that have had to take time off and and just I felt like given the challenges that I was confronted with, I did a, as good of a job as I possibly could have, and that's really all I can I, I just appreciate and I'm proud of myself for doing that. I live with two of my buddies who uh, I lived with senior year, and they're great, and they've always been some of the the people that you can confide in and I, that I could kind of share all of my struggles with. And that was incredibly important. And you kind of lose track of where you've gone to school until, um, until you hear it from other people. Um, and it's, it's both reassuring and, and kind of unnerving and can make you nervous because there's always that incidental pressure that comes with going to a school like that. And so you got to kind of just learn to appreciate it. it. I hated it when I first started there because I, I was, it was just like, I, no one's ever going to feel sorry for me again. And, and, you know, it, looking back, I realized just how, how ridiculous that is to, to think. But in the moment, you know, coming from high school where, and especially in a place like Santa Monica, where I feel like people can be a little bit babied, um, if not by their teachers, then by their parents or by someone. Not not always. People have very hard circumstances. But me, I'm, I'm privileged to say that I didn't have the hardest of circumstances growing up. I had some family domestic dysfunction, but nothing worse, I think, than and a lot of families. And I live near the beach. Yeah, I know. You know, you can't complain. So I think that that was 
that can't complain attitude is was so scary in the beginning and but now i've learned to kind of embrace it and i'm proud of myself for for that shift in mentality for sure I remember when you um, i think the first year back when you and i had a photo shoot i asked you what you missed and you said um, you missed falling asleep to the sound of the ocean yeah I mean, you had all these years here. It I know. It's been an incredible adjustment because you mean your house is on the beach, basically. Yeah, it was. It was so different. Um, it's just traffic and ambience is ambient noise. I guess is just one of those things uh, that I didn't realize could have such an impact on your life. You know, when I first moved into my apartment out after college, um, I live right next to the fire station. And uh, not only am I listening to the fire alarm going off, but like the actual uh, firefighters and just like EMTs are, are, you know, loud at like three in the morning because they're just constantly on shift. They're, they're stressed out. Um, and uh, it was just something that I completely got used to over time. But initially I, I was having I had a panic attack in my room like the first like week. I was like, how am I supposed to? How am I ever going to sleep? Like I have a, a job that I have to start in a week that I just, you know, and I felt like I had to prepare for the job. I felt like, you know, I needed to know everything before I even started the job. And uh, that was just not true. But um, it kind of put, working has kind of put things in perspective for me a lot as well. Um, so after you graduated, you've taken this job as a research fellow. Sort of kind of yeah it's like a it, it, it's um the nominal title is like a research associate but it's all it is basically is like a glorified research assistant so it's kind of my job i work within a tight-knit uh team that is uh following up on what we call like hits from a, a cancer screen so we take a bunch of different cancer cell lines and we uh, uh genetically delete it, like one gene um iterative like not iteratively in a pooled format but it's like 20,000 genes and like each cell within the cell line is like has a different gene deleted and we compare relative what we call viability so like growth versus depletion and we find out which cell lines are uh, dependent on certain genes and each cell line comes from a different type of cancer so it's our job to follow up on that make sure that these dependencies are real and then further evaluate them like mechanistically see if there's like a clinical what we call a biomarker or something that like a, a physician could use to identify a specific cancer that would be dependent for a gene from like a clinical test so all of that is you know um kind of it was super exciting when i f first started and it's still i still feel like it's very high impact but the not just the workload, but the immediate job environment. Working, let's just say that they try and treat it like industry. And in doing so, you're working with people who are like 20 years your senior, staff scientists, incredibly accomplished people who have never had any business managing people, but they're just so good at their jobs. And it's a little unfortunate that it's treated in a way that, you know, uh, they're not only responsible for the science, but they're responsible for appropriate management of, mm. of the individual as a person. And it doesn't always work out that way. And so, I mean, I feel like there's only so much you can do, with, not, maybe not without a PhD, but in a circumstance where you're dealing with people who just are so knowledgeable. Um, it's just not efficient to always contribute intellectually the way you'd want to. So I think I've had enough time to learn there and I'm looking for a position now that maybe uh, positions me closer to like actual patient care and 
because that's what I really want to do at the end of the day. I'd, I'd like research, and I hope to continue doing it in, to, in some capacity, but I really want to be um, dealing with patients. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the, the recent announcement by the Chinese researcher? Who <laughs> yeah, everyone was talking about that. Everyone was talking about that. Yeah, yeah, it's um, crazy. And I know the Chinese government, of course, you know, tried to denounce that very quickly because, I mean, it, it does seem to go against the grain of what? Yeah. At least the universal medical ethic community believes is right and wrong. Yeah. Did you, do you have any take on that? Or? Um, besides, you, you mentioned be, industry and medicine. I mean, in those two yeah. often mixed. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do, I mean, they, they can. And there's infrastructure around, so like, you know, cancer specifically, there's actually a pretty, I think there's a pretty good marriage between industry and research to some degree. But um just quickly this is kind of a tangent but quickly they uh the issue is that it's like very iterative and it's only about extending life maybe another month or two and that can be a fundamental issue but there's still plenty of research towards like novel targeted therapies it's just maybe not the distribution of um the budget distribution may not be perfect there but as far as the yeah as far as as CRISPR goes the the issue I have with it actually is that it's not a complete technology right now. It's in no ways meant. It's really just it was designed for to be. I mean, the technology is is a completely natural technology derived from bacteria, um, where they can alter their genetic profile for resistance to different viruses in like a very specific controlled manner. And so we kind of adapted that. And the thing about it is, it's not incredibly efficient. Um, and when it is efficient, so you need a lot of, you need a lot of, uh, like, biologic material, like, you need a lot of embryos to test it on. And there's no way, I mean, unless you sequence them, which you can't really do until they're, they've grown out a little bit, you have to take a piece out, which is dangerous. So I'm not sure how they sequence them, but they have to make sure that there's no called um, off-target cuts. And off-target cuts are particularly bad because those, especially in like an early stage embryo, those are going to uh, just uh, propagate throughout the entire organism later on. And off-target cuts don't heal right usually. And if they do, they can have uh, like what we would call basically scar tissue or in, in, in a very loose sense. But yeah, I, I just, I feel like there's going to be iterative improvements on CRISPR. And so to do like human experiments right now, it just seems premature. And I say premature because I do think that it's inevitable that eventually, given the opportunity to eliminate like gene-related uh, gene conditions that are just like single gene variants causing issues, I can't imagine a scenario when we have that gene editing technology and, it, and it's efficient enough to use and we're not using it because it would eliminate at least like a handful of very debilitating and life-threatening diseases right off the bat at one point. Um, you, you don't think you'd miss any of this research going into patient care? I mean, oh, I mean, I when I look at yeah. things going on like within the next 10 years, and I think yeah. even now, I mean, what is it, $35,000 we can get our our genes read and mapped? Yeah. And, so, I mean, I'm, oh, I mean, yeah, you so can, it depends. I mean, you can get, yeah, so you can get like your genomic profile done. You can get something called like a proteomic profile. You can get a transcriptomic profile, which is like RNA and like proteins and all that stuff. 
um, like an epigenetic stuff. There is, and there is, and and the, the issue again with that is, and and the research is going to be important there to deconvolute like what the con, you know, and I think AI. Um, just going to say this right now. Who knows if this is true, but I, I do think AI is going to be the future as far as progressive and iterative learning about the genome and its combination with and all that stuff. But beyond that, I do think I'm going to be still doing research. Um, I want to be a doctor, but I think it's going to be, you know, depending on what specialty you go in, it's going to be very important to have not just the ability to research, but also to appreciate the research of others and to um, kind of evaluate that. So I don't think I'll ever stop doing, although I may not, you know, work 100% of my time in like a formal research setting, I do think I can devote, you know, 10, 20, even 30% of my time when I'm still seeing patients to... Yeah. Cool. So Ben, I'm curious. You just spent five minutes talking about the sort of work you do. Can you imagine that you would have been here, I mean, five years ago when you were in high school, that you'd be sitting here talking about that? No, <laughs> I don't think I could have. Um, I mean, it's so. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm just thinking of things you used to talk about when you were here, and your friends. And here, <laughs> I'm, and here I'm like, I don't, oh my God, he's grown yeah. up. You know, this yeah. is amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, I I don't know. No, it's it's it's, yeah. it's fun, but it's like. Yeah, you know, it's different. It's like, it's, wow. So. Well, this thing, yeah, I guess it's, maybe I've lost a little bit of that, um, a little of that, like, casual, go-lucky spirit that I had here. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like when I was in high school, I was always very interested in biology, but there was also that, uh, there was a, a scarcity of people that I was close with and that also shared my interests, and so I just rarely got a chance to talk about it with people, and then... And that was because I just felt like um, I liked people uh, on such a different dimension than what they also, than common interests sometimes. Sometimes it was just like I like their personality, whatever. And now it's like I, it, I, I like people probably actually even more so like the way I'm just describing. I work with people, but for the most part, I'm friends with people that have nothing to do with uh, biology, but because in that work setting, I get so much exposure to that. It's, you know, so much of my life now. Um, I'm totally, I'm totally different and more comfortable talking about it. Plus, I think it's really become part of the public consciousness recently, and it's much more interesting. CRISPR was just becoming a thing, I remember, like, I think freshman year, my freshman year, maybe, I don't know, Cal maybe had it invented in like 2011, 2012, or the Broad Institute kind of perfected the um, the Broad Institute actually just won a patent or with uh, with Cal Berkeley over it. But um, yeah, I just that was a big thing. I remember everyone talking about it and I thought it was that was what I wanted to do. And I wanted to whatever I did, I felt like that technology was a good start as far as just being on the cutting edge. And I, I, I actually do think um, having not experienced anything else, I'm a little I'm a little uh, spoiled by it. But I love working uh, in that environment, and I love talking about it. Do you remember when you first arrived uh, in Boston to go to school, I guess in 2013, what was the biggest misconception that the students had about California? <laughs> like, did you hear one thing over and over, like, Jesus, you know, I can't believe they keep asking me this. Uh, it, was, it was basically just this sense of, I, you know, and I wouldn't even call it an entire, you know, like most misconceptions are only, or, you know, stereotypes are only partially, partially wrong or exaggerated, mm -hmm. but it was this kind of feeling that everyone was, 
wasn't busy enough. People didn't take enough on their plate. People were too casual about their occupation and their job, um, which was in, which was interesting because I felt like I always felt like people didn't take seriously, um, you know, uh, what they were actually. I feel like people here are much more inclined to just do what they're interested in, and I feel like people misinterpreted that as you're not willing to just take on a job and, and try and commit and, and learn to do something technical, but maybe a little bit beyond yourself and for the greater good. And that's also coming from like a very uh, limited, you, you know, uh, distribution of people over at Harvard who kind of view themselves as like whatever leaders. Um, Did you, know, you have like a misconception of uh, the East Coast? Like, did you go there with some preconceived I had no, notions? I had almost no pre... I had no idea what to even expect when I went to the East Coast, honestly. Um, what was the biggest surprise? People were telling culturally. me... Culturally. Oh, I mean, well, Har- Harvard was weird. Um, <laughs> just a lot of weird, quirky, eccentric people um, that food, I kind of though? normalized. Oh, food is crap um, for the oh, really? most part. Yeah, I'm not a... In Boston, I mean, you can get... Um, you can get some things over, you know, like the... The staples over in Boston are basically just pizza and Italian food, and those are great. Um, but it's not New York pizza and Italian food. It's definitely not on that level. And that's fine, but as far, you know, I'm also partial to Mexican food. They mm-hmm. don't have much of that. Um, you can get much better Japanese, much better Chinese food here. What food do you miss um, here? Like, is there, are there restaurants you really miss that you, you always make sure you visit when you come back? Or? Honestly, um, I, I go to a lot of just... Honestly, just taco stands, man. Here's I want to be a diet. Sorry about I feel like that. Like there's three of me talking <laughs> at once. Before we wrap up, I'm curious. Um, uh, I want to ask you. I mean, what do you think are some things people don't know about you? I mean, like, what do you feel like would surprise people if they were to get to know you and then find this out? I mean, do you? Do you feel like you keep things close to the chest? Or are you pretty much an open book? Or I, 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 I like, lately, like I've the been, stress thing. I'll be honest. Yeah, with you. that surprised me when you told me about that. Yeah, you, yeah. I always kind of, I, I was. It was like if I could come back as a high school senior again. I always thought I'd like to come back to be someone like Benjamin Gaeta. <laughs> well, I mean, because you just had. I just thought it was this charm life, and yeah, in high school it felt and, that way. Um, to be honest, it felt like a charm life. You know, I had a. I had a girlfriend who I'm still together with now, but we, we had a lot of, uh, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know is, you know, I faced, my relationship faced a lot of adversity because of the stress that I underwent in, in college. And I think high school was charmed and, and I, I definitely didn't feel, I, I kept things close. I've always kept things close to the chest, but, um, what I was keeping close to the chest there maybe was a sense like deep down that I knew that I could try a lot harder um, and that people kind of based off of, uh, the level of appreciation that I got from other people. Stuff, I mean, what do you, I'm sorry. No worries. Based on the, the positive feedback I would get, that's how hard I was willing to try. And it was very much dependent on what other people thought at the time and what I was willing to get away with. And, uh, and now I, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, I'm very much more open, especially with the people that I'm close with about my life. And I feel like that's, and I I don't do that intentionally. Um, but I feel like it's just a consequence of not wanting to just 
just letting things out, I think I, I just fundamentally feel better when I'm talking to people about my life and exposing all those vulnerabilities because I, I think every, literally every person can relate to some degree. And I, I think adversity doesn't need to be a, a quiet, um, solemn thing that you just keep to yourself um, because it, 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 it's something that I think can be used to just inspire other people. I don't think anyone finds it inspiring that someone who has faced no adversity is suddenly successful, I think. Because it's just not true. It's not. It's not a real story. So, um, yeah. I. I mean, that's pretty much it. I. I, I have no secrets. Um, but what I do have is just a, a much greater appreciation for sharing. Um, you know, kind of the struggles and and the tribulations of my life, maybe with others. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop you just for a second. And then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. Original. So, Ben, um, in closing, is there anything you'd like to, to say? I mean, that you feel we haven't covered or, uh, or like, I mean, if we've got three more years of this photo shoot together, yeah. where do you think you'll be that last oh. year? Hmm. Uh, Still in Boston? <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, do you really want to come back to California? I want to come. I, I kind of just... I, I've, I just feel like I want a change of pace culturally. Um, I think I know what I'm getting as far as like the biomedical and, and the research community goes in Boston. And I think I would just appreciate, uh, I think that it's so funny how almost like the nature of research and work changes itself depending on where you go. And so, I mean, if I could go to medical school in California, I'd be incredibly happy to do that. I feel like I haven't put myself in a very high-impact competitive environment in California. And so I'm actually very interested to see that balance. But if I couldn't do that, um, there's definitely places in Boston that I would look for and be interested in. But um, the question is basically just like, where will I be uh, medical school-wise? Because that's uh, there's no... There's no uh, confusion now. I'm, I'm positive I want to go. And, um, you know, probably somewhere on like coastal, but um, I used to be a lot more picky about that. And um, now you I do just want to stay in. on the water. I mean, now I'm it's, just, it's, you yeah. know, Santa Monica or Boston. So yeah. you, you definitely just yeah. like the, the water. Yeah, although, like, I don't get a chance to go to the beach that oh, much really? in Boston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but California is probably the, the front runner there. So. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for your time and hope you have a nice holiday season. And uh, we'll be talking maybe again in a year. Yeah, okay. definitely. Maybe sooner. Thank you so much, Mr. Ledford. Uh, it's been a real welcome. pleasure talking. Thanks, Ben. All right, let's take some cool. photos.